Welcome and thank you for joining us for the Church by the Glades podcast. If you would like more information about Church by the Glades, including service times and directions, visit cbglades.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. The Word of God says that our Lord is great and greatly to be praised. So for just a moment, let's lift up a sound of praise in this place that reflects the greatness of our God. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for what you did on the cross. And we're believing that that work on the cross is still working in us right now. So God, we pray, Lord, that in the time we have together, that you would do what only you can do, that you would meet us in this place, and that you'd have your way. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we all pray together loudly. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Hopefully a podium comes up. There it is. How are you guys doing this morning? You look good. You look good. For those of you that may not know who I am, my name is Charlie Hughes, and I have the honor of leading the young adult movement here at church by the glaze called Rally. Are there any young adults in the building, people between the age of 18 and 30, make a little bit of noise? I would love for you to come rally with us on March 24th at the Rally Rumble. It's our third time doing this event. It's going to be crazy. There's going to be a boxing ring on the stage. Might be some boxers in that boxing ring. That's all the, all the tea I'm going to give you for now, but I hope you choose to come rally with us on the 24th. Since the last time I had the privilege of preaching on this stage, I had a birthday. I'm now 23 years old, people. 23, I'm getting kind of old. And with every year of life, I feel like I learned something new about myself. And I learned in this last year of my life, entering into this new year, that I'm not a particularly fearful person. Like last year, I jumped out of an airplane. I kind of conquered my fear of heights. But I'm not afraid of spiders. I'm not afraid of snakes. I'm not afraid to fly. And I'm not really afraid to die, all of which are among the most common phobias that people have. But I will say, there are a few things that I have what I would call a healthy respect for. The ocean being at the top of the list. (laughs) I don't play games with the ocean. I give the ocean the respect that it deserves. The reason being, I don't know what's in the water. I don't like that when swimming in the ocean, I can't see what I can't see. Even more so, I don't like the thought that I can't see everything that might be able to see me. (laughs) Just the whole idea, the whole concept that there's something in the water and the uncertainty, the unpredictability, the vulnerability that comes with that freaks me out. Is there anybody else who feels the same? I also don't like how in swimming in the ocean, I cannot help but compare myself to the vastness of the waters that surround me. Like my strength is no match for the speed of the currents. My mind cannot comprehend the ocean and all that it contains. My meager body stands no chance against the might of the waves as they push and pull me in whatever direction the tide decides. I'll put it this way. Not only do I find the ocean horrifying, I find it humbling and I don't like it. The title of this sermon is There's Something in the Water. Jesus made a habit, a pattern, and a theme out of using large bodies of water, such as lakes and seas and oceans, to teach his disciples timeless truths. 
And the passage of scripture that we're going to study together today is perhaps the most famous example of this. So if you would open up your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 14, we're going to be reading verses 22 through 31, and they read this. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Verse 31. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, Jesus said, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? I think after reading this story, it can be really easy for us to want to judge Peter. It can be really easy for us to want to ask Peter what Jesus asked Peter in this moment. Peter, why did you doubt? Jesus had you covered. You weren't going to drown. What was that doubt all about? When I think we should take a moment this morning to time out, pause, reflect, and recognize that Peter was the only disciple who had enough faith, who had enough courage, who had enough spiritual capacity to take a step outside of the boat and try walking on the water in the first place. Can we just put our hands together and give Peter the respect he deserves? Can we celebrate Peter? Can we give Peter his flowers for just a moment? I think rather than using this story as an opportunity to hate on Peter, we should use this story as an opportunity to relate with Peter. Because if this story tells me anything about Peter, it tells me that he was a lot like you and I. He doubted. Whether you are willing to admit it or not, I'm willing to bet my next paycheck on that at one point or another, you have dealt with doubt. I know I have. I've doubted others. I've doubted myself. There have even been times when I've doubted God. Am I allowed to admit that as the preacher? Is this a safe place to share? Can I get a little transparent for a moment? A few months ago, there was something that I wanted really bad. I wanted this thing as much as I've wanted anything. And for a little while, it seemed as if I was going to get this thing that I wanted. But it was weird. Over time, what at one point seemed so promising and exciting turned out to be pretty disappointing and heartbreaking. I prayed to God a lot about this thing that I wanted. On multiple different occasions, I asked God if this thing that I wanted was part of his will for my life. 
But when things went south, I realized that I never really took any time to listen for God's answer. So when things started to go bad, I, I took some intentional time to discern God's will and hopefully hear his voice. And it became pretty clear to me over this time that what I wanted for me was not what God wanted for me. And I was devastated. I knew God wanted me to trust him, but I didn't want to. And just to be real, I didn't really know how to because, like I said, in my mind, this thing that I wanted was the greatest. I was not sure if I fully believed that God could provide something as good, let alone better. My hope, my faith, my trust in God was at an all-time low. But not only this, because I'd worked so hard for this thing that I wanted, and it didn't work out. My self-esteem, my self-confidence was at an all-time low. I gave up my all, and my all came up short. I felt like a failure. I was frustrated. I was confused. I was disappointed. So in what I only know to describe as a moment of despair, I cried out to God asking him, Lord, why does it feel? like you are wanting to build my trust in you at the expense of my confidence in myself. And in that moment, I felt like God began to correct me by letting me know, Charlie, I'm not killing your confidence. I'm killing your pride. Immediately, I was reminded of this story of Jesus and Peter walking on the water, and I began to wonder, what might have happened to Peter if in this moment of doubt, when Peter took his eyes off Jesus, if Jesus would have allowed Peter to keep walking on the water? What might have Peter begun to believe about himself as a result of not sinking when fear stole his focus? I think Peter would have grown prideful. Not necessarily arrogant or overtly cocky, but prideful nevertheless. I've heard it said before that whatever does not turn into praise will turn into pride. I think Jesus knew that if he would have allowed Peter to keep walking on the water after fear stole his focus, Peter would have became someone who believed that he had the power, the might, the authority, the ability, whatever you want to call it, to walk on water. And I think Jesus knew the danger in Peter believing this about himself would have been that the next time Peter found himself sailing in dangerous conditions, he might have tried to get safely to shore by stepping outside of the boat and trying to walk on water, and Peter would have drowned and died. Jesus knew that if he did not let Peter's doubt sink him, Peter's pride would have killed him. Jesus was not punishing Peter. Jesus was protecting Peter. Jesus was not being cruel to Peter. Jesus was being clear with Peter. And clarity is kind. Jesus was loving and looking out for Peter by letting him sink. I don't know who needs to hear this. But God has been blessing you by letting life disappoint you. The confusion and the frustration 
you are experiencing today as a result of what you wanted and your way not working out is saving you from so much pain, potential pride in your life would have caused you tomorrow. Just as if Jesus, if you would have allowed Peter to keep walking on water in this story, the next time Peter found himself sailing in dangerous conditions, he might have tried to get safely to shore by stepping outside the boat and walking on water and he would have died. If God would have allowed what you wanted to bring you happiness and your way of achieving success work out without you once ever looking to him for any type of help, counsel, or assistance, it would have resulted in you growing prideful and your pride later leading you into situations, spaces, and places that you would not have been strong enough to handle on your own. God has been blessing you by letting life disappoint you. God has been blessing you by letting life frustrate you. God has been blessing you by letting life confuse you just a little bit. When I was in middle school, it was my dream to one day play in the NFL. What's so funny? <laughs> but try not to take that personally. So when I was in the eighth grade and my parents told me that they were finally going to let me play tackle football, I was ecstatic. And I was sure, I was convinced that I was going to be one of the best players on my team, maybe even in the whole league. And the reason I thought so highly of myself was because I was a beast at the video game, Madam Football. <laughs> now, I don't know why I thought my skills in this video game would translate to the field, but it made sense in my middle school mind at the time. And I'll never forget my very first play of tackle football. I was lined up at outside linebacker across from this tight end. I still remember his number, number 88. Number 88 must have been at least six feet tall and 160 pounds. He's, he was a pretty big middle schooler, especially compared to my 5'5", 110-pound frame. But I didn't care. Without knowing a thing about this guy, I was like, I'm about to take your head off, dude. So as soon as the center of the opposing team snapped the football, I took my first step towards number 88, I was just ready to hit him with all that I had. And by the time I took my second step, number 88 had hit me so hard, I was laying in the grass on my back with the wind knocked out of me. And I kid you not, I remember it as, clear, as clearly as if it were yesterday, thinking to myself in that moment, maybe football isn't for me. <laughs> laying in the grass on my back with number 88's footprint in my chest was a painful position that my pride put me in. But it was weird. Even after this painful introduction to the sport of football, I continued to play football for three years after this. I was obsessed with becoming the football player that 13-year-old Charlie Hughes believed that he was. And it was exhausting. Not just physically, but also emotionally and spiritually. Because not only was I consumed with being a great football player, but I was consumed with needing others to recognize me as a great football player. And if I felt like someone did not think much of me as an athlete, I would grow very insecure. It was not until my junior year of high school when opportunities to preach and lead here at Church by the Glades began to present themselves that I finally found myself breaking free from the grip my pride had on me and I found peace in living out what I believe is God's unique plan for my life. I say all of that to say this. Not only will pride cause you future pain, pride will cause you 
to forfeit God's plan for your life. Who knows? Maybe if I would have stuck with playing football by some miracle, I would have made it to the NFL. Probably not, but stick with me for the sake of this illustration. That would have been really cool. Very impressive, without a doubt. But at its core, what it would have been, it would have been 23-year-old Charlie Hughes trying to prove that 13-year-old Charlie Hughes is right about himself. At its core, it would have been me feeding my ego. At its core, it would have been me still trying to prove others wrong. At its core, it would have been me doing all that I could to protect my pride. On our own, we can accomplish some pretty cool things, but we cannot change the world. As human beings, by our own strength, we can achieve some very good things, but we cannot achieve or accomplish God's things. Under the influence of pride, living misinformed about our identity and our ability, we will limit the impact we can have in this life. For this reason, God will allow us to wrestle with frustration, confusion, doubt, and disappointment brought on by what we want in our way not working out to purge us of our pride. Our need to know everything, have all the answers, and be totally independent in all that we do. Because pride will cause us to view asking God for help as a threat to the toxic identity of self-sufficiency that we have found a false form of security in that will only end up costing us living in the majority of all that God has for us. If God continued to let you mistakenly believe that you could do it all on your own, then eventually you would falsely believe that you don't need him. And the greatest blessings of your life are going to be things that you will only be able to acquire with God's wisdom, steward with God's strategy, and carry with God's strength. Sometimes it takes life letting us down for us to stop looking inward and start looking upward. In this way, God will leverage our subsequent doubt, frustration, confusion, and disappointment as his tools of divine persuasion to prove to us who we are not so we will care to understand who he is. In God's hand, nothing is wasted. God can even use our doubts to dismantle our pride and display his power. When Peter's fear stole his focus, he began to doubt and he started to sink. But notice, Jesus stayed standing. I think Jesus let Peter sink so that it might sink in that what scared Peter did not shake his Savior. In one motion, by reaching down and pulling Peter out of the water, Jesus was informing Peter that your doubt does not make me any less powerful. What causes you to sink, Peter, doesn't even make me flinch. Where you fall short, Peter, 
I stand tall, for I am immutable in nature. I am necessarily unchanging. My power is persistent. My strength is resilience. My might is consistent. Wind blowing does not change that I still wield supreme authority. Thunder roaring does not change that I'm still seated on the throne. Waves crashing does not change that I am still in charge of what I've created. You think I'm scared of a little bit of water? Man, I created the waters. The wind does not change that I am the way. The storm does not change that I am sovereign. The rain does not change that I still reign over all. Wind must cease at my word. Storms must stop at my command. Hurricanes must halt at the wave of my hand. I'm not surprised by your situation. I've not been changed by your circumstances. I am comfortable in the chaos. The presence of your problems does not change the power of my presence. So you can have faith when your life is in fragments. And you can have peace when pieces are missing. Because I'm all powerful. Powerful Peter, and I'm not going anywhere. God wants his power to put your problems in the proper perspective. Stop telling your God how big and bad your storm is and start telling your storm how big and bad your God is. God does not want you to view him through the lens of the wind that is blowing against you. He wants you to view the wind that is blowing against you through the lens of who he is. Sometimes we get so caught up with what we're walking into, that we forget to take a look at the one who we're walking with. We don't know exactly why Peter doubted. Peter could have been doubting himself. He could have been doubting Jesus. He could have just doubted that in this moment that the water could no longer hold him up that was holding him up. We don't know exactly why he doubted. We only know when he doubted. Peter doubted when he noticed what was against him and he took his eyes off of who was with him. And he began to sink. He was starting to drown. And he called out to Jesus asking for help. And verse 31 tells us that immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught Peter. And he said to Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Immediately, 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 Jesus reached out his hand and caught Peter. For Jesus to have been able to immediately reach out his hand and catch Peter means that Jesus must have been close. This is the reason why God brought some of you to church this morning. To let you know that your doubt does not make God distant. Your doubt does not make God done with you. Your doubt does not make God disinterested in you. God is close even in the midst of your confusion. If doubt is what makes God mad at us, or done with us, I don't think that Jesus would have pulled Peter out of the water. I think Jesus would have pushed Peter deeper into the water. I think Jesus would have then hit Peter with one of these numbers. <laughs> know what I'm saying? But that's not what happened. It's so important that we read scripture through the lens of what we know to be true about the character of Christ. Jesus was full of love and abounding in grace. 
In other words, Jesus is merciful. Knowing that it is Jesus' default to show mercy, then what if when Jesus said to Peter, you of little faith, why do you doubt? What if Jesus did not say this to condemn Peter, but to encourage Peter? What if Jesus said this to Peter with a smile on his face and kindness in his eyes? What if Jesus asked Peter, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Not to make an accusation, but to extend an invitation. This is why when our way doesn't work out and we find ourselves what feels like drowning in doubt, frustration, confusion, and disappointment, we don't have to panic, but instead, but instead, somebody say, but instead, we can process. You don't have to panic. You don't have to panic. Get that lie out of your head. You don't have to panic. You can process. Lifeguards will tell you that the most dangerous type of drowning person to attempt to save is someone who is panicking. This is why the first thing a lifeguard will do when attempting to save someone is, will, is they will start to shout things at them like, I'm here, I got you, you're safe, everything is going to be okay. But this life-saving strategy only works if the person who is in need of saving will stop panicking long enough to acknowledge the presence of their rescuer. If you'll let him, by choosing to process over your instinct to panic, God will use your way not working out and life letting you down to prove his proximity to you. I love what my dad often says. Here at Church by the Glades, we love a good and honest why question. I think that is very reflective of our God. I don't think God is offended by your questions. I actually think God welcomes and he wants your questions. Because God knows that if your questions are genuine and your search for answers is not fueled by hatred, but honest curiosity, he knows that your doubt, your frustration, your confusion, your disappointment will give him an opportunity to live up to his name in your life, which will result in you building a bond with him that will be impossible to break. God goes by many different titles in Scripture. But God cannot be your wonderful counselor if you never have worry in your mind. God cannot be your prince of peace if you never have stress in your spirit. God can never be your great physician if you never have sickness in your body. God can never be your fortress if you never have a need for security. God cannot be your rock if you never have a need for stability. God cannot be your Jehovah Jireh, your provider, if you never face scarcity. And God cannot be your light if you don't have some dark moments from time to time. 
your way not working out, life letting you down, is what sets the stage for God to show up and show off in your life. I understand you feel too confused. I understand you feel too disappointed. I understand you feel too frustrated to trust God right now. But faith is trusting God confused. Faith is trusting God frustrated. Faith is trusting God disappointed. Maybe you're here and you feel like you only have enough faith to last you through the day. Similar to Peter, you feel like a person of little faith. But let me encourage you for just a moment. I think you're doing better than you think you are. Matthew chapter 17 verse 20 says that faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. Sometimes it's not about how big you can believe. Sometimes it's about how long you can believe. Can you just keep believing when it seems like believing isn't working? Can you keep doing that best next thing that you know to do? Can you just keep taking steps just a little bit longer? Can you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus just a little bit longer? Can you keep holding on to that promise just a little bit longer? Can you keep praying just a little bit longer? Can you keep worshiping just a little bit longer? Can you keep believing just a little bit longer? I'm telling you, you are closer to your breakthrough than you realize. You might just be one outstretched hand away from your miracle. A strong faith does not equate to a lot of faith. A strong faith equates to a lengthy faith. It does not matter if you only have a little bit of faith. If your little bit of faith is placed in Jesus, it's just a matter of time before God does a lot with your little. Your little bit of faith is what will help you know, discover, and believe how big, how great, and how powerful your God is. He's close and he's capable. He's powerful and he's present. He's able and he's available. Be seated for just a moment. James chapter four, verse eight reads that God draws near to those who draw near to him. I think our doubt, our frustration, our confusion, our disappointment cause us to draw near to God in a way I'm not sure we feel the need to otherwise. This is not about what our surrender does for God. God does not need your surrender. God is very secure and sufficient in who he is. This is about what our surrender does for us find it so beautiful that God is so loving and so merciful that even when our pride gets the best of us and our fear steals our focus and we find ourselves drowning in doubt and frustration and confusion and disappointment and then we finally come to our senses and cry out to God for help that God does not respond to our cries for help with contempt but with compassion by meeting us where we are extending a hand out to us and pulling us out so we can find comfort in his closeness, peace in his presence, and solace in his strength. There was a day this past summer when a family friend came over to our house with her three kids so her kids could swim in our pool. And her youngest child is a three-year-old little boy named Zoe. And Zoe is my buddy. 
But the problem was on this particular day was that Zoe only feels comfortable getting into a pool if his mom will get into the pool with him. But his mom didn't feel like swimming this day. So Zoe didn't feel like swimming either. And we're like, Zoe, the whole reason you're here is to get in our pool. So I got put on lifeguard duty. And I was fine with this. Like I said, he, he's my buddy, but at first he was too hesitant to get into the pool at all. So I had to convince him to play a game with me. The game was this. Zoe would jump to me from outside the pool and I would catch him inside the pool right before he hit the water. At first, Zoe was only comfortable jumping to me at the shallow end of the pool. But as Zoe jumps and jumps and jumps and jumps and I caught him and caught him and caught him and caught him, Zoe learned that he could trust me because I loved him enough. I was close enough and I was capable enough to not let him drown. So it actually begun to have so much fun that by the end of the time we spent together in the pool, he had dragged me to the deep end and started jumping to me because he knew that every time he jumped in, I'd be right there to catch him when he fell. Church by the glades, when you realize who is in the water with you, when you realize who is only an outstretched hand away, when you realize you can never sink so deep that Jesus Christ can't reach down and pull you out, when you realize that you have a savior on watch who is close enough to catch you when you fall, you don't have to fear drowning, but instead you can find excitement and going deeper. I'm not advocating that we search for opportunities for our pride to get the best of us. But when this inevitably happens and we find ourselves navigating the waters of our doubt, frustration, confusion, and disappointment, you do not have to panic. But instead, you can process because there's something in the water and it's not death, it's not darkness, it's not danger, it's not despair. It's deliverance. It's fresh perspective on the other side of your frustration. It's clear direction on the other side of your confusion. It's greater understanding on the other side of your disappointment. There's purpose in the water. There's peace in the water. There's rest in the water. There's relief in the water. There's resurrection power in the water because Jesus is in the water with you. He won't let you sink. He won't let you drown. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you, but he meets you where you are. He extends a hand out to you. He desires to pull you out, place you on your feet, draw you off, and put you on mission. It is God's will to use these waters in your life to give you new eyes to see, new ears to hear, a renewed mind, and a focused faith so he can make his power and his proximity and his plan at work within your life so clear to you. Somebody in this place, help me thank God for his love. Help me thank God for his mercy. Lord, I thank you for your grace. I don't know what doubts, what confusions, what thoughts of frustration you've come here with today. But I just want to encourage you. Do not let those feelings and those thoughts discourage your faith. Let them fuel your faith. Because God is an answer for every question that you have. And if you would choose to process over your instinct to panic, 
I promise you, God will meet you in the waters that you are in. And he will make his power and his peace known to you. Father, I thank you, Lord, for every single person in this place. God, I ask, Lord, that you would make ways where there seem to be no way. That, God, you would meet us where we are in the waters of our doubt and our frustration and our confusion and our disappointment. And you would bring peace that only you can. That, God, you would show mercy like only you can. That, God, you would do what only you can do in our lives. And our faith would be stronger than ever because of it. We love you, Lord. And it's for your glory. And in Jesus' name we pray together boldly. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today. To hear more messages like this, make sure you subscribe and share with your friends. Don't forget to stay connected with us by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at CBGlades at Pastor D. Hughes.